Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Bob Marley was more than just a musician. He was a musical pioneer, an ambassador of Jamaican culture, a humanitarian, an activist, and a really competitive soccer player. He grew up in one of the poorest neighbors in Kingstown, Jamaica, but thought music could change the world. His songs talk about standing up to oppression, hope, freedom, politics, and love. He survived an assassination attempt and tragically died of cancer at the age of 36 years old. On today's episode of Prisoner to Rock and Roll, we're going to explore the life and music of the man who wove reggae music into the fabric of modern American music. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Prisoners of Rock and Roll, episode number 28. I'm Bruce Kramer, and I'm here at the mic tonight with Ryan McCusker and Doug McCusker. No worries, man. Are you rocking out there? Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. <laughs> Prisoners of Rock and Roll. Would that make you? <laughs> yes. To yeah, make you stuck you in work. the middle with you. <laughs> Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia, and our show is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Man, Every week we talk about a show, and every week I say, I don't know how we're going to tackle this. It's, I don't know. I've been listening to Bob Marley a very long time, and I think it's a very interesting topic. Again, over the years, going back to our teenage years, Ryan, like, you're not listening to this. You should be listening to this. Like, what don't you get? Man, this episode is going to touch on politics and religion and music and all kinds of other stuff. And it was, I, 
one of the best things I love about doing this show is about how much I learned. And I knew, uh, I think I knew a, a decent amount about Bob Marley. I learned so much. And I also think this is the saddest story. Yeah. Yeah. He really, yeah. That we've, we've he, covered. He, he went out on his own terms though. You know, he, um, he was a revolutionary for a, a movement that was a movement of love. And that's his whole thing. Like his things, things like live a great life, love, and community, you know, he was just in in all. You know, he's a beautiful human being. Yeah, and a guy yeah. who's been who just got cut down or died at a really young age, but he didn't. You know, wasn't drugs. It wasn't this. It wasn't like he just died of cancer. He just died of cancer. He had it really bad too. He fought it for a very long time. Yeah, and he jordled it enough. Like it's a shame because he did. Like we were talking earlier at the bar. Is like he, he had a um, an injury from a soccer game. Yeah, it just from uh, his toe. Yeah, and then, like, he just yeah. got dealt like a bad hand after bad hand after bad yeah. hand by life. He was getting, but, like, but he kept trying to make the best of it. Yeah, but it wasn't was, a bad life. Like he had an amazing like sure. where he came from. He was getting the wrong people telling him the wrong thing. You yeah, think so? He had like Rastafarian doctors telling him to no, you know. But that's his religion, though. That's fucking fine. But you know, yeah. it, in medicine world, you know, it, it didn't work out for him. So, I, I guess the way we're going to tackle this is we're gonna we're just gonna walk through his life and we're gonna talk about some of the music and you know we're gonna ultimately lead up to his his tragic did not you know his tragic death. But it was like, yeah, man, dude, if you hear the word Jamaica. You can't hear Jamaica without thinking of marijuana or music. Yeah, and right. I, and yeah. you can't think. And, and both shit. Both of them makes you think of him. Have you been to Jamaica? I have. Yes, I have. Not. Jamaica is a fucking great place, dude. It's and he is a god there. Yeah, like he. They make Bob Marley face on everything. So we're talking about the lions thing, like later in the episode where they gave him the ring of the, their king or the next messiah of. Their religion, right? The Rastafarian, yeah, yeah, sure. We can, yeah, we'll, we'll, I, we'll cover. And he was like the next coming, and um, we we're watching the documentary, like Legends or Lions, wherever it's called. Legends, yeah, or yeah. the Marley documentary, yeah. And he was like God sent, like he was the next coming of the like of a king or like some religion thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. they. I mean, they they just looked up to him as like a, a savior to everything, but like. It's amazing. I th- I honestly do truly do believe that people were born on this planet for reasons, and I think that is with Bob Marley. Well, he was, you know, he was a spokesperson for his his whole country. He was such a political guy. He, you know, we we talked in the intro. He was uh, attempt on his life, be assassinated. But that's the power that he had. He had that's the power. how people yeah. hated him though, too, because yeah. he had so much power. He's not, even, he's not even a politician. No, but he was more powerful than a politician. Yeah, and I love that. Yeah, he I love was, that. He was the most... And that's rock can, and roll. Can you name another influential person out of Jamaica? Other, like, well, Usain Bolt. Like, I, I, I can't I think can't of another, I can't no, think of another no, person. No, no, that no, means, like, no, you know, no. I don't mean to be the flippant. The other guys I'm like, in the whalers. No. That's right. the only thing I can think of, the other right. guys in the right. whalers. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't say that to be flippant. I'm like, I just, I can't think of another person, like, culturally who means that much of the, to what this what that country meant than him. But, like, his music is bigger than that country. Yes. His oh, music absolutely. is identified in every country in the world. And we haven't, 
I almost feel like we haven't tackled a subject this big yet. Like, and we talked about the blues. We're like, we're going to talk about a hundred years of music, but what he meant to music and culture and everything, man, it was like the more I dove into it, I was like, dude, we are. I'm like, shit, I am way He's in over very my head here, dude. He he lived a short life, but he lived a big life that he the short yeah. time right. he was here. Was like, we're going to talk about 36 years of his life, and I was like, oh, how long are we going to talk here? Wait, let's start. Let's start with him. Yeah, man. Yeah, let's, let's start, start with where, him. like where he was born. Yeah. Bob was born in Nine Island, St. Agnes, Jamaica. It's in Trenchtown, basically. February 6, 1945. He was descendants of a white English and black Jamaican. So he was half white and half black. Which I don't think a lot of people... So, yeah, he was born in Nine Miles, Jamaica. There's no electricity. There's no running water. It's an incredibly poor neighborhood. He had yeah. like no shoes on his feet. Yeah. No, there was no food. It's like a shack. It's like a shotgun shack. I don't think a lot of people know that he's biracial. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't until I started doing all yeah. this research. Yeah. And I was like, and I've watched other movies about him. So his, yeah, his dad was his almost dad, 50. Yeah. He's a lot, he older, his, a lot older. His mother was like was, 16 years old. Yes. Yeah. His and, name was Captain Norval Marley. And it was really crazy. He only seen his father a handful of times and his mother after he was like through his life. He he didn't know his father. And you, and you have to understand, I mean like we we don't want to get into politics here, but that's an that's a that's the awning over all of this. So it's like at the time man, like Jamaica is is a British colony. So you have this kind of ongoing struggle between the indigenous people who live there and then the British white people that overrule it. Yeah. And that becomes a, a bigger deal as we go through this story. But in this context, his dad was a British government official who was significantly older than his mom. Yeah. And his mom was a, 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 a black person at the time. And there's also some like some some bullshit around who well, his dad was. Exactly. Like his father on paper was never nothing but a private in the army. And he perceived himself to be more than that. Yeah. So his dad said he, he was, was a like, sham. He was a captain. Yeah. And he served in India yeah. during World War Two. He didn't serve. And he said any, that was yeah. That was all, all a lie. It was all bullshit. Oh wow. Yeah. He said he he never rose a, a, yeah, a, above private above private. Yeah. And he never saw active service. And he was kind of like yeah, like a government clerk, kind of who did some from, shit. From what I understand, the Marley family was very high up respected in in society. Like it was easy for him to get away with some kind of story because his family was so notable. You know, they were, they were above higher class, the Marley's, the white Marley's. So, he, so basically he was like a rich brat. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. But, but when his mom has him, I mean, the dad, he, he's not around anymore. He kind of like disappears mm. through his life. And even his mom doesn't want to go and, get a birth certificate for him because she's so afraid of what a biracial kid oh yeah will will oh, yeah will be so his his passport says he was born on april 6th but his mom swore that he was born in february and she said she was so afraid to tell the government that he was born because they were afraid of what would happen if like a british government official had a kid with some teenager. Oh, it, it, yeah. right so it's like this whole like he's not he, he comes out the womb 
and there's already like a trouble like form. shit yeah right scheduled against yeah him. well he 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 jumped ship like he like like i said right like, he's out he, he's gone he doesn't right. even like like identify with this kid or the mother or anything like that they only saw him like he like, had a few different kids yeah bob has some siblings um but, yeah but so so i watched that, that documentary marley which i think doug and i are both talking about and he has some siblings that are like white british like very british yeah. very people yeah. yeah like very kind of colonial times like tea and crumpets kind yeah. of people oh yeah um and and mixed racial couples in jamaica in the 1940s are still frowned upon mm. like that's just not everywhere it was yeah that's not yeah. accepted accepted Anywhere. thing um which is just crazy, like that he, you know, that the deck is stacked against him, and I don't mean to say that, you know, in a derogatory, but just I like that though. socially, the deck is second, you know, yeah, like, like he that. just that his first hand is just he's got bad cards, and um, you know that documentary man that that you were talking about, Doug, like Buddy Whaler's in that, and they were like, oh, was he teased as a kid? He's like, oh. teased is not the not word. The word. He was exiled. Right, he, he was like, like he's bullied. Like, 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 right, they called him like. He didn't fit German boy and all these other yeah his grandmother his great grandmother who lived to 135 years old referred to him as a German boy you right know? so he was just ostracized and I guess at some point his mom moves from uh, moves from nine miles to Trenchtown which is a neighborhood in Kingstown which is just it's it's and still, that's a big, it's a, a lateral yeah it's right. a, that's a and that's a big move because you if you see where he was like lived early in his life where he was born. It's a shack, shotgun shack. It's a little it's house. shanty. Yeah, it's, 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 it's shanty dirt. town. Yeah, but now it's like a shanty around a bunch of other shanties. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a like tin roof after tin roof. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Of just metal walls and whatever trash they could find to put up on the walls. To it's make- like poverty to his finest. You know what I mean? Like it's it's horrible. Upgrade, but he was a happy kid, from what I understand from watching documentary. He's a happy, happy kid, rather than being like tormented his whole life because he's not accepted on either side. I think he, I think he became such a musician because he was isolated from everybody else. I, I thought yeah, he really you get the you get the um like the trade down like you so like I have nothing to we're talking about banjos they're talking about banjos and the thing we're talking about well, like, a lot of a lot of instruments in Jamaica were homemade yeah like um the guitars were made out of wood you know obviously but the wire for the strings they would take apart uh you know telephone like wires and yeah. take the individual wires in the wrapping and make them into guitar sounds so i think yeah. there were like there were two things going on in in Kingstown at that time. One was that the local music scene, yeah. And two was like after the war, people were buying radios in Jamaica, and they were picking up radio broadcasts from like Louisiana, you know, like the southern yeah. part of the really? United States. Yeah, really. So they said they were like Bob Marley would get a radio, and you could you could barely get like New Orleans and stuff yeah. like that. So he grew up listening to like. He said he loved like Elvis, Fats Domino, Ray Charles, the yeah. Drifters, so that that kind of stuff. And then they were making these rudimentary instruments. Like music was all they had yeah. to, to get them I, through this I shitty life. I can appreciate life. that. I can really appreciate that. He was very young when he when he when he started the Whalers. Um, they uh, we haven't played any music anytime lately. 
Um, he was such a young guy. You could hear in his voice the youth in his voice. Yeah. So maybe we should play something by him and let's, let's kind of, um, maybe set the, let me accelerate this a little bit. So he was, you know, and Bob Marley was like working a bunch of like menial jobs. And he said the one that in, in, turned him on to music was he was working as a welder. He'd left school. Yeah. 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 And he's being a welder. And he said he was like working one time and a piece of metal like flew in his eye and he didn't have eye goggles. And he said it, and he was just like, Fuck this. Fuck this. Fuck this. I'm yeah. going to go become a musician. Yeah. And so he... But the thing is, though, like, like, why wouldn't he? Because, like, every, like I'm doing this and doing that. Like, why wouldn't I be a musician? Because everybody it's, it's told surround, him... Everybody like, surrounds told, him. You know what I mean? Everybody told him he couldn't do it. That's crazy. So one of the first songs he did... And he did before he meets up with the Whalers. He did some, like, one-off solo stuff. Because mm-hmm. he was, like, an, an, an yeah. inspiring yeah. musician. So one of his first songs he did, and it didn't do shit was a song called Judge Not. Let me let me play a little bit of that. And just listen to this in the context of how different this sound is from what you think of when you hear Bob Marley. Very Frankie Lyman and yeah. the teenagers. If, but if that's, what, played, he's, like, that's pl- what he's influenced by. Like Frankie yeah. seems like if the I temptations. Pl- like you know, if I played that for you and I said I'll give you a thousand dollars, you tell me who that is. You have no never idea. That's Bob Marley. No, you I, would never know that. If you know, right, I know it is, but and I'm listening to it and I think, oh wow, it is a young young Bob. But so, it's still there, though. Like it's like it's there. Yeah, the magic there. is there. His voice, Dude, his voice is amazing. It, it's almost like um. It, it's ska music, so maybe we should we should draw this line real quick and kind of set the stage. Yeah, so like, ska is a whole other thing. Yeah, maybe they we just, should... Go ahead. You know, go ahead, please. No, I mean, I heard in, in a documentary that ska was made for beer drinking and dancing. We all, sure. so we all watch the same movie. Sure, you know, yes, beer sure. drinking and yeah. dancing. And Bob wanted to make something more serious, yeah. something more Rastafarian. Yeah, it, so... To go to with his religion, so ska yeah. comes out of like the late fifties, early sixties. It's like Jamaican folk music. Uh, it was called Mento, the folk music, with like jazz, calypso, and American R and B, and all that stuff. That after the war, people start listening to American radio broadcasts. So it's you can you can hear it, like you just said, Doug. It was yeah. like you can hear Frankie Lyman and the teenagers. Yeah. You hear that soul kind of mixed in but that was like their influence that's what they wanted to be you know they didn't want like they had a lot of hits in jamaica that was not they had a lot of recognized recognized like abroad right but after ska there's another step in jamaican music called rocksteady which is like the mid-60s which is kind of like it's a little slower and um the bands are a little bit smaller. So mm-hmm. ska bands are typically like very large. There's yeah. like percussion and horns and, horns and all kinds all of other kinds stuff. Of um, so as the bands get smaller, 
there's more emphasis on the ba- the instruments that are playing, which is also like the bass line becomes a bigger deal. Yeah. And in reggae becomes the next evolution of rock steady. In reggae, it, now it's kind of like anything from Jamaica. You know, even the um, the the drums that they take out of the the, the steel drums. Yeah, they, people mm. say that's reggae music. It's like you know, but it's, like, it's a catch all. But. but you look at like their evolution from where they came, Bob Marley and like his band. When it came to like what, what was it called the um, like the boxes they made they made it out of like uh, like rumba yeah, box rumba box yeah rumba box I think you could play that right yeah I, I it, it's only like six it was it was a it was a box with a hole in it and it had springs on it and it would had tone the springs had tone in it and you could play a song they were like a music box yeah you know it was a pretty clever thing and. They would have they would call it the shake shake yeah yeah it was like, it was like big, shakers like, yeah um, maracas yeah kind of like a, just think yeah, of that home, yeah homemade instruments but that's why everything's homemade that these guys started with it's all homemade yeah they didn't have shit and the thing of reggae too is like the bass becomes a percussion a percussion instrument like like I've reggae, been saying reggae, it my whole, my whole reggae my, has a very distinct like yeah like you just hear it and you know it the offbeat I. Actually, I have a clip of Bunny Whaler explaining what reggae is, which nice. I think is fucking awesome. But, I think, but I'm before you say that, yeah. like I've been saying my whole life, the bass guitar is part of a percussion instrument. That's what I do. What? I, I think the bass and drums are the most important yeah. part of reggae music. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let me let me play a clip of Bunny Whaler explaining what it is, and we'll see if we can put this in the show without getting sued. <laughs> Beats are bum, 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 bum. With reggae, you got three beats out of four beats, and you imagine the next beat. Feel the next beat. That's reggae. Feel. Heartbeat, feel. Heartbeat. Brilliant. He's brilliant yeah. guy i was like dude and yeah. he's like i'm looking at the video in front of him and he's he's dancing and he's like yeah 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 like he, he just dude he gets it he is you know bob is the rock star but bunny was the spiritual absolutely you know he was the spiritual guy in the band yeah man so let's get them on the field man let's let's talk about them a little bit so bob morley has a uh He's middling around. He tries to be a musician. He's really not going anywhere. And he decides he wants to be a musician. So he starts taking lessons from this guy named Joe Higgs. Yeah. Who Joe Higgs was like a, um, they call him the grandfather of reggae music. He made some of the first uh, records that were actually physically made in Jamaica. And part of his uh, giving back was he would go and give free lessons to kids in his yard. And Bob Marley went, to that and he also met two other guys he met neville livingston who became bunny whaler and he met peter mcintosh who became peter tosh huh. mm. and that's where they decided they're going to become a bit he also uh tutored jimmy cliff so yeah. it's like pretty oh, much wow. like all the jamaican yeah. shit that comes out of the yeah. 60s yeah this guy the- was like the um george yeah. martin of <laughs> right right you know? so he he starts tutoring the band and the, the whaler the initial version of the whalers is they're a vocal group yeah, yeah. they don't play instruments. Yeah, they're like um, the Temptations. Yeah, so they, yeah. they 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 model themselves after like uh, 
Yeah, like a Frankie mo- Lyman yeah, like or, or yeah. Dion or some other other stuff like that. Which, and um, you know, let, let's play a little bit of that too. Let me compare some of that because like the really early version. So they they actually cover "Teenager in Love" by Dion. So here's here's two versions of that. Here's Dion's version. We have a quarrel It almost breaks my heart Cause I'm so afraid That we will have to part Each night I ask the stars above Why must I be a teenager in love? Classic American, yeah, absolutely. Two ops sounds. yes. And then, so Bob Marley and the Whalers cover that. Cover that. Here's Hold their on version. to your seats because this is fantastic. Now, you were saying something about the production value. See, I read somewhere that they did the production of it make the vocals really high, higher than everything else, because they know it's going to be played on jukeboxes. And they wanted the, the vocal to be bigger than everything on the record. For the original version? I just thought it just... No, for the... Oh, the for, this, for the... Yeah, Mar- yeah. For Bob, Marley, Marley, yeah, yeah. Bob Marley and those guys, they, they pushed the vocals up higher than everything else. Because it was going to be on jukeboxes, and they wanted everybody to hear it. Hmm. But the thing is, though, you listen to the drums on the thing, it's way more complex. Yeah, it's an like, island feel. I know, and it's so much better. It's an island feel when Dion has a South Philly feel. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, dude, I, I love that Dion and the Belmonts. I love all that doo kind of but stuff. But that's like, yeah. so much better. That's so a, much better. That is, like, you and, see... Yeah. If you charted all the music, you see it branching off. Yeah. And it's like going a different direction. It's really cool. That blew my doors off the first time I heard that. Another thing that was really cool about Joe Higgs was he actually took the band. He said, like, you guys are going to learn how to play. He took them and made them sing in a cemetery in in Jamaica. He was like, (laughs) you need to learn how to perform when you're scared and you're under pressure. (laughs) He's like, you have to sing for the dumpies. Yeah, the the dumpies. The the, the spirits. spirits. The the evil spirits. And Bob Marley had some songs about that, the the dumpies. Yeah. He said, like, yeah, you're going to go sing among the bad spirits who are pissed off around the cemetery. Can you imagine that? They get up and start booing you? Right. <laughs> like, boo! boo. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> we, we get mad when comic book guy emails us. <laughs> like, the ghost of the ghost of prison and rock and roll past coming in getting us. Bob Marley and the Whaler, they're making this kind of music, and there's a couple other, like, there's some background singers and stuff like that, but Bunny Whaler and Peter Tosh are the kind of, like, they're the two core people in this really early version. I mean, and they both go on to have really influential careers in Jamaican music, right? Yeah. Like Bunny Whaler, he just died this year. Oh wow! Right? Yeah, right. I think I think he died in March, and uh, and Peter Tosh, 
Um, Peter Tosh was the only one out of the band that actually knew how to play an instrument when they started. <laughs> and I thought it was really cool. So Peter Tosh had this like really crazy, like uh, he went and saw this guy play guitar and he sat down and the guy played guitar for like a half a day. And Peter Tosh just stared at him and he's like, can I borrow the guitar? And Peter Tosh played the song back to him. Wow. And the guy was like, man, where did you learn how to play guitar? And he was like, from you. Just wow. now. Wow. And just instantly knew how to play guitar. I appreciate it so much. Like really, really natural, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like a, like a, a virtuoso yeah, Peter was Peter was on another level. Yeah. And then he was the secret weapon of the whalers. Yeah. And then he went and told the other like, you guys need to learn how to play some instruments. And they were like, no, man, we're a vocal group. And he's like, no, you need to learn how to yeah. play. And and Peter Tosh died under really tragic circumstances. Yeah. Like, you know, just clear that up right now. Like he was murdered in a home invasion, <laughs> like eighty seven. <laughs> but no laugh at it. It's well, no, it's just it's just fucked up. It's just another yeah. like so. Jamaica is an incredibly violent, exactly, yeah, incredibly and violent place. And imagine people, living in that. These guys just broke into his house in '87, and we're like, "Give me your money." And he's like, "I don't have any money." And they tortured him to death. They tortured him and they shot him in the head. And they That's killed awful. Him. Like just this burgeoning musician. I was like, you know, if you peripherally know anything about reggae music, you you've heard the name Peter Tosh. Yeah, sure. He went on tour with with the Stones in the in the 80s before he died, obviously. Um he had a a few just like hits. You know, nothing yeah, that, nothing he, like Bob did. He but they were like B-sides, nothing that really made a big hit yeah. or anything like that. But the, but the three of them together are really important, yeah. right? Cuz they're like they're pretty much what gets the meteoric oh. rise. Um so Joe Higgs is uh, getting him playing cemeteries. He's made, he said he made him rehearse for like two years, and they kept He's saying like, like "We want a record there. deal," and he was like, "No, you're not ready. Not yet. there yet." Good to play a song. Yeah. So he Good he he finally gets him to a record producer named Coxone Dodd, who gets him to record a song called "Simmer Down," and "Simmer Down" becomes like their first hit. Tear a little bit. <laughs> But it's like ska, though. It's like the birth of ska. So the band, the the Scatolites, like they were like a big. They're the backing band for that because that's probably yeah. why it sounds like such a huge. It does uh, have a big sound. Such a huge sound. It has yeah. that that doo wop kind of big orchestra kind of sound. Yeah, you hear that the doo woppy and then beginning of Jamaican music all kind of coming. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, but I love like, the you, sound. I love the sound. It's like it's simple recording. Where, like, the That's music all they itself, had in Jamaica. Yeah, everything was simple. But don't you think like they're like, rubbing we're talking sticks about ska together and everything like that? Like going back, like going forward, like people are just trying to like capture that sound. Right, that it's they, all they, right. Yeah. You can hear it's it's pressed yeah. into a couple yeah. tracks, and yeah. it's not incredibly. It's really cool. It's, it's great. like hearing it's great. The, yeah. the soul music spilling over. Um, so they had a number one hit for that, but they you know it doesn't go anywhere else. It's just number one hit in Jamaica. Yeah, and then Bob Marley's mom. Leaves 
Yeah. She's like, he's 17. And she's like, I'm, I'm out. You know, and she goes and moves to Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware, Wilmington, Delaware, which is maybe a half hour from where we're recording this right now. Mm-hmm. And Bob Marley now has no dad, no mom. So he moves into like the studio where he, he, he gets a room above the studio where he's been recording all yeah, this stuff. He lived in the studio. It was just like his, with the janitor. Yeah. But it's like simple living. Like that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to just I be think a poverty. I think yeah. poverty was in he's his used blood. To it. He's, used, he's, to it. he's, he's used, used to having it. nothing yeah. and you know this is what he, he, wants he to was do. Mu- yeah. music was his love and life and look what he did with it. You know, he sacrificed his whole life to practice and to write songs and that's why he's still with us after all these years he's yeah. been dead. And if I you like look- I said that he's still with us. I still, I like yeah, that. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you look at the pictures of like any of the stuff that we're looking at right now, if you go on like um, Spotify, the pictures of them, like they're in suits. Like they're, yeah. they are, he oh, does, they're sharp. They he, are sharp. He does not have dreadlocks. He is very, they're just a, an American teenager. Yeah. yeah. Group. They're, they're trying to sell skin. it. Yeah. They're, they're trying shark. to sell themselves as that. So as, as he's kind of torn around and doing his thing, he meets up with Johnny Nash. So Johnny Nash is the uh, I can see clearly now. Yeah, yeah well, gone. Yeah, and he starts writing some songs for Johnny Nash. Johnny Nash hires him to be a songwriter. So I actually had one of the so- here's um a song called "Stir It Up" by Johnny Nash that that uh, Bob Marley wrote. Yeah, that sucks. I don't know. Like, I kind of liked like it, the guys. Bo- I yeah, liked but the it. Bob Marley version is iconic. You know, like it's cute and everything like that. Like I never heard go. it. I enjoyed it. So Thank he, you. So, like, I mean, Johnny Nash had like that song. I can see clearly now has yeah, it's kind of a reggae that's kinda, kind of yeah. right. It brings reggae to like American music. So he, yeah, the song sucks. You know, so. Yeah, it's you Jesus know. Christ. Everything sucks. <laughs> the goth, yeah. the goth episode. <laughs> yeah, but um. So the band, you know, so he's kind of like he's doing his thing. He's writing some stuff for Johnny Nash. He's he's got the band, but they've got like an absolute dog shit record contract. Yeah, with the, just like everybody else in rock and roll. Yeah. So I read somewhere that they said they were making three pounds a month. Yeah, and I'm not a very smart. Yeah. Per- I'm not a smart yeah, person, but yeah. I would think three pounds in the 1960s American dollars is still probably not yeah. very much. No. So Bob Marley goes like. The Delaware, yeah, right, he, he goes, goes to America. Delaware. He's yeah. like, I'm gonna go to my, I'm gonna go to my mom's yeah. house because he wanted, like, he wasn't making enough money out in in Jamaica. Yeah, so he's like, well, I really want to reach out to be an artist. So he goes to America. He goes to America to make money. Yeah, that's why he was here. He wasn't here to make any music. He right. wasn't here to do any of that. He was here to make money and work. He worked for a hotel. He was a janitor, and he worked for Chrysler. Yeah, he built cars. He ran a yeah. forklift. He did yeah. like a bunch of odd jobs. He also got married before he yeah he left. He, he got, got married to Rita he got married Marley. one day. Yeah, like was it the twelfth? Like like and he moved, yeah he, he got, got married one and he day moved the and next left day. the next day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's important later when we talk about his yeah. extensive family his, tree. Yes, huge, yeah. but he um 
Yeah, man. So he comes to Delaware and he just works these kind of odd blue collar jobs. He's trying to make up money to go back and make music. You know, it's interesting. After he goes home, he makes his own record label. Yeah. You know, um, and he goes into another recording studio and to start making his vision, start making these songs that are about love and freedom and everything like that. Yeah. Is that when, when he start really taking on the Rastafarian? Yeah. Like, I think when, when he like comes back, religion, did Bunny Whaler, I think the other guys around him have started embracing Rastafarianism. So he yeah. embraces it. Yeah. And the music kind of changes. And he also wrote a little bit about his experience in Delaware. Like his, his some songs are about like working the forklift at weird hours and stuff like that. And um, yeah, man. So he comes back and he, they make whale and sound records mm-hmm. with the whalers. Yeah. That they want to kind of branch out on their own. They had a great Rastafarian producer that really pushed their sound really far and really mold Bob into something else. His name was Lee Scratch Perry. And this guy was just not schooled in how to make a record or anything like that. He was, he knew what music was supposed to sound like and he taught himself how to record. You know what, man? Like as a fan of music, you know, like I've, I've been really into music my entire adult life. I've heard that dude's name so sure. many times, yeah. and I never really like stopped to pull over and read about what his name is. But he comes up so many times in so many stories in the history of music. Hmm. I was like, oh wow, this this dude again. But this was the one time I actually like kind of dove in and read about him. He's a wild guy, man. He's, he's still really, I mean, he was still alive. Yeah, he's he would he would dance around and jump around. He's like, I want it to sound like this. So he would jump up and down, make the make the rhythm. Um, he would fly his arms around, and I don't know. He would he would have little dedications to water and fire and oh. land. He died a week, like a, a week and a half ago. No he way! Oh wow! End, he died at the end of August. So. Oh wow! But yeah, dude, his his name just came, like Scratch Perry. I'm like I I know who, I know that name. Yeah. It comes up all the time. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no, it's nice. I've, yeah. I've, I've heard his yeah. name so many times, yeah. and. He came up in this story. But he really gave Bob, helped Bob with his vision. Yeah, when they had this Whale and Sound Records, he said that it was such a um, a self-made company. Like, they would press the records, and the guys in the Whalers would get on their bicycles and take the records, and they would take them to, like, juke joints and bars and, like, here. Like, they would literally, that was their distribution. They would ride on a bicycle and hand them out. But then eventually, at some point, they get signed to like Island Records. They get like a a, a big record a deal. big yeah. record deal. And Island Records is um they're the they were started in Jamaica and they're still like huge. I mean like sure yeah Island Records yeah U two is on there yeah. the Cranberries everything yeah. but it was also started by an Englishman an Australian and a Chinese Jamaican so it's not like Barry Gordy being like sure. you know a, a Native American a, a African. Jamaican starting yeah. the record label, but um, when they get signed to Island Records, they make their full they sign, they record a full album, and now they have a band, hmm. and that's kind of where it starts taking off. Um, the guys and they a couple of them are like Bob Marley's on guitar, you know, some of the other stuff. So um, it's like when you move to Delaware, like um, we were watching a documentary, and when a guy handed it all the time didn't. 
realize how talented that he was. And it's like, you have something. You have something. Like, you have something to say. You have something to, to like, give this world. He was one of them trillion. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. He was... And you really see it, man. Like, and we all have heard the music a million times. Like, I, you know, I dig him though. I dig his humbleness. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Like, he's just I like, really. It's I, all about love. I can really appreciate yeah. that. So his get, idealism was like amazing. Like, amazing. Like, just like amazing. not into politics or anything. like Amazing. That. Yeah. So let me play um, a little bit of "I Shot the Sheriff" by him because that was on their one of their 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 second album. Let me play a little bit of that. So that song's important in that Eric Clapton covers it in like 73. It, it kind of, it becomes really popular. Sure. And it becomes like yeah. a, a, a hit and it starts getting people's attention over to, to Bob Marley and the Whalers. So Doug, you just said like you think you actually like, like that more yeah. than the, you like, like Clapton's like version Clapton more? Version. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of eh on Eric Clapton's entire yeah, career. I'm not, but, and I'm not a huge Eric Clapton fan. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I I really like Clapton, but you know to to hear the original version, I believe Bob Marley saying "I shot the sheriff" and doing all this didn't lie me. Fucking Eric yeah, Clapton, yeah, I hear you. I'm with you. You that. know, like that's what I kind of shot. Like, it sounds yeah, it but, sounds more revolutionary yeah, when Bob put sings it, in, it. Yeah, that's true. Um, I still thought it was interesting that Bob Marley and the Whalers at this time they go on tour opening for Springsteen. And During all, this time, yeah, that's amazing. amazing. Like the early, like the early late sixties, early seventies. Can you imagine seeing that show? You see Bob Marley, and then the Bruce comes out, and then they they also toured with Sly and the Family Stone. Jesus and Christ! Sly and the Family Stone kicked them off the tour because they said they were they, too they were too good. Absolutely, and I was going to say things like, no offense, gentlemen, but like I'm sure Bob Marley like yeah. kind of like crushed. Bruce. Yeah, they like, said they said you're yeah. out. This Brandon, line Bruce kicked them off. The, off no, the, no, no, no. Sly and Family, family Stone, Stone kicked them off. I you said yeah, Bruce no, no, kicked no, no, them off. No, no, no. He no. opened for Bruce, and then he opened. Yeah, he opened for Sly and the Family Stone, and Sly he and also St- he also opened up for the Commodores. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he. What Bob did was brick house. Bob was very popular, had a cult following in America of white people, and he could (laughs) never understand why the black community didn't get behind him. They just didn't know about him. Which is a big part of, like, yeah, this whole story. You know, it's like, again, like, the white side of him is getting more attention than the black side of him. The black side of him is not even, does don't even know about him. So he accepts to perform before the Commodores when the Commodores should be opening for him. Absolutely. To get more radio play. Yeah. So he wow. did a favor. He played Madison Square Garden, opened up for the Commodores just to do a favor to get more radio play of course. In, yeah. in, in New York City. It's good business. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine like Bob Marley and I then fucking, fucking leave. and I then fucking leave. Lionel Richie comes up there? I would leave. I would leave. So, it's, all right. So we're in the early 70s and then 74... Bonnie Whaler and Peter Tosh both quit the band. Yeah, Benny, 
Bunny just had enough of the commercialism. He's like, I'm here to make Rasta music. But yeah. there were simple people. You got to understand where they're Yeah, we understand from. there's simple yeah. people, but they didn't want to go further into like playing London, playing yeah. huge London clubs. And they're like, we're, we're Rastafarians. We're not rock stars. Yeah. You know, and, and Bob was like, well, I want to be a rock star. And ben, Bunny's like, well, dude, I got to be out. Was he that was Bob wanting to be yeah. like a rock star? Yeah. yeah, I thought he just always just went along with no, it. no. He, so he, he had, wanted to he be successful. And, yeah, the guy from Island Records signs them and says we're going to position them in the market as a black rock and roll band, which is so like, dude, they're not. It's basically they're, what he did though, right? So and and Bob Marley was cool with that. Mm. Bunny Whaler was like, no man. Like there were certain clubs, and he was like. I don't want to play here, given my Rastafarian uh, upbringing, my religion. I, sure. I just don't want to play these. It, exploiting it. Right. And, yeah. and the guy said, that, no, you're going to play. It's actually kind of funny. So the guy, the president of Island Records, his name is Chris Blackwell. And uh, Peter, uh, Bunny Whaler started calling him Chris White Worst. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> because yeah. he was like, no, man, you're not going to exploit me. And Peter yeah. Tosh also said, like, I was the... I was the background singer for so long. I want to do some solo stuff. And Island Records was like, no, dude, you're the background guy for the Whalers. And yeah. Peter Tosh was like, I'm out. I want to pursue a, a single career. Sure. And it's, they said Bunny Whaler and Peter Tosh both have kind of moderately successful single careers. They probably fucking own part of the name, the Whalers. Probably. I'm sure they do. You know, like, you know, they're, they were original, the Whalers, and Bob used that Whalers up until the end. It wasn't Bob Marley. Right, Bob Marley right. and the Whalers. Right. So, at this, so at this point, when those guys are out, it becomes Bob Marley and the Whalers, and mm. it's also like, um, you know, it, it's a band, it's not a vocal band. Yeah. And now it's becoming a, a, a band. A band. Yeah. Right. And there's like the uh, the three female vocal, the I three. Yeah. I think they're called one, like of, them, one of is his wife. Yeah. And a couple other two other females that are like that that classic reggae sound that that. Background vocal. The three little birds. You yeah. can edit this. You can edit this out. But I think Peter Tosh has a show on the Beatles channel on Sirius. Peter Tosh is like morning with the Beatles. Peter Tosh. Yeah. He's been dead for. Oh, okay. He died in like eighty four. Okay. All right. No one. There's Peter. Whatever. Okay. Pretty close. Yeah, man. I'm dead. Boo! Halloween. All right. So we're up at the point, man, where like the whalers are. Peter Tosh and uh, Bunny Whaler out of the band, and we're ready to start talking about some kind of dark stuff that, that happens in Bob Marley's life. So why don't we play a couple music? So let's play. What did you say? You just wanted to hear. It's here. No woman. No. No cry. woman. No cry. So here's live at London, the Lyceum in 1975. They do such the vocaling, the, the girls in the background are so awesome. Dude, that song blows me away. Like, I remember like being in my 20s, and that song still blows me away. I think the first time I heard that was when the Fugees covered it. Yeah. There's like a, uh, there's maybe. a, yes. Not me, but there's a gospel vibe to that. 
right? Like the organ yeah. and yeah. and that's a big part of Rastafarian music. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very biblical kind of. It just speaks to me. Like it just blows me away every time I hear it. Blows me. away. I think a it's lot of emotional. His, it's an emotional journey. That song. I think it's a, a musical lot, journey. I think a lot of his music, man. Like there's a. It's not a fragility in his voice, but there's something about like the way it it trembles when he hits certain notes that I've just I've never heard in another singer. Because he believes in it, man. He like it's everything he has inside of him, he's singing it. Like it's it's so like it's an amazing piece of music. Let's hear another song. Yeah, man. Let's hear one of his get up, stand up. Stand up, stand up for your right. We're playing 30 seconds of these songs. I could let every one of these yeah, run the yeah. entire time. Like, every, all three of us are sitting there kind of like bopping our heads with the music. I mean, it's yeah. such a political song, but you can like put it to anything that you have a movement on. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a unifying song. Yeah. By, by this point, man, when the Peter Tosh and Bunny Whale are out, like they're, his music has gotten way more political. He's singing more about, what he experiences like a blue collar worker in Delaware. And he's singing more about what he saw in Jamaica. And maybe we should talk a little bit about that. Cause I think we're about to lead up to, <clears throat> excuse me, the 1976, like the, the horrible assassination attempt uh, on against him. Sure. So um, Jamaica largely was a dumpster fire for like, right. So it was a, it was a, British colony until like 62 and then it be, it gets its independence and it had been like 15 years of like political unrest. And I said, I, I, I don't want to make this to social studies class, but <laughs> it was like, you know, if you went to the supermarket, you couldn't get stuff. There was nothing on the shelf, but everybody had guns. You know, it was like a, a horrible, sure. like, you know, the Brits leave and now nobody's in charge. And the uh, so the prime minister of England at the time decides, like, dude, we're, we're gonna have a concert, we're gonna bring everybody together for the power of music. Sounds great. And they get Bob Marley to, 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 to play in it. And the guy, the prime minister goes, like, Hey, man, we're gonna have this concert and it's gonna de escalate the violence between us and his opposing political party. And Bob Marley goes, like, Hey, man, I'll play, but I'm only gonna play one song and I am not endorsing either one of you people. Like in the opposing political parties, he kind of supported one party in the past, and then he was like, kind of, yeah, they got taken the wrong way. Yeah, he was like jaded, so he's like, dude, I'm I'm not involved, but I'll play, but I'm not getting involved. Yeah, he was very vocal about that. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not on this side, I'm not on that side. Yeah, you know, but but then the prime minister goes like, oh, cool, we're having this concert, we're gonna move the election up to do it right after this. Wow. So then the people, you know, people that support his party were like, hey, look at this great political rally. Bob Marley loves us. Yeah. yeah. And the opposing party was like, well, wait a minute. Bob Marley loves us. You're dragging him along. So both of them now are pissed off at him. And it's like, and he keeps saying like, dude, I want nothing to do with it. Um, and he's just performing. 
as long as he's right. performing. Right. So doing and, a free show. Right. And even yeah. Bob Marley was like, "Dude, what are you doing moving the election? I yeah. I didn't. I, I'm trying to remain politically neutral here in a yeah. point where the country is very tumultuous. So what happens is some people try to fucking kill Bob Marley yeah, sure. over it. Yeah. Yeah. Right in his house. Right. So. Uh, seven people just drive through the front gate of his compound, his Tough Gong record compound. I guess we didn't talk about this. Like, so Tough Gong was like his, his nickname growing up and became like the name for his like studio. And you still see that now. Like, you can see like Tough Gong records. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, um, and he said like his, his wife Rita was like leaving the Mm -hmm. compound. It was like, oh, I, she pulled over at the gate and was like, these cars are coming. Where the bodyguards aren't here, but what's up? And as these people are driving by, they shoot her in the head. Yeah, and somehow yeah. she survives. And then these people just break into his house and they start shooting everybody in the goddamn house. And somehow everybody survives, but yeah, dude, Bob got hit. Bob Bob was shot like the uh, was shot in his in arm, the chest, and his in it, his like, arm. Them. It, what happened yeah, was he was like, standing on the side. And the bullet came in and it grazed his chest and landed into his arm. Yeah, it went like parallel to his chest and yeah, grazed yeah. it. And um, his manager and a band employee were also shot. And, um, you know, no, nobody passed away, thank thank God. And a couple of the people that were, uh, that that did the shooting were executed. And Bob Marley went to the execution and no watched him kill, watched really? him be, really? be executed. But they've never, they never said, like, ultimately what, and there's always rumors like, the CIA had something to do with it. You there know, like is a great documentary on Netflix about this. I forget what it's called, but it's on Netflix right now. I watched it, and it's about the assassination of Bob Marley. It's rad. I'm going to look it up right now while you're talking. They actually talk about the guy who tried to kill him. It was it was like the whole, like, this guy was seen here. And, you know, it was like a mysteries. Unsolved mysteries, whatever. So, so we're talking about a guy who doesn't want anything to do on either side of politics, and he's the guy who assassinated. Right, right. It's, well, look what they're using him as. They're using him and as they're a using puppet. Him. Exactly. And he's the guy that's going to get fucking shot. Remastered Who Shot the Sheriff? Yeah. I think on Netflix. Yeah. Very it, cool. Yeah, it's very, it's very, you know, telling you about what the concert was for and everything that you just talked about, Bruce. And here's a guy who's just trying to, like, Get everybody together and whatever, and he's right. the guy who gets shot. That's right. what I'm he confused just, right. about. He's a Rastafarian at this point. Yeah. He's like the musical power of of, of love. Exactly. Will so, bring everybody together. So yeah, both these sides of political things going on, and he's the guy who gets shot. Right. Shoot those fucking guys. Right. If you're gonna shoot somebody, like for real. But then he play he plays the show. Yeah. Two days yeah, later. Two days later. Right? He's yeah. injured, and instead of playing one song, he plays a set. Yeah. And he is like it's defiant of in lieu of what happened. Yeah. He has such faith in God. He was like, God's going to protect me on this stage as I'm doing my sure. work. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they like, said I'm that. Not, like, right. Yeah. I'm not going to need any bodyguards because right. God is watching yeah. me. Right. right. What if what, what if what if tries to happen? Right. What if somebody tries to finish the job and he's like, Well, I'm I'm God's protecting me. They made me yeah. survive this. And he. It's an enormous, like, right F on. you, yeah. right? It's like, right and, he, and again, yeah. it's another time he's got dealt bad cards, and he's made the best of it. It's, but just, he made it's it, remarkable. But he made it, though. I think that's what his his whole life was, being dealt bad cards. Sure. And, and overcoming it. You know, not overcoming death, obviously, but overcoming his oppression. Making uh, the most of it. Yeah, sure. You know, 
everything he did, he was trying to do something for the people, and the people took it the wrong way, and they tried to ex- execute him. I mean, shit, you asked me to do something for the city of Philadelphia, yeah. you know, to, to help people, and somebody tried to shoot me, I'd be like, I'll see you guys. Yeah. I'm out of here. But he still went up, and he was like, I'm trying to help people and bring this country together. Even though you tried to fucking kill me, I'm still here. He left He left Jamaica after that. He, he did, He right. exiled himself. He went to go live in in England. In London. Yeah. So he, yeah. So the next year he goes to London and he makes the album Exodus. Which is which the is, biggest which album is the, he ever made. Sure. The enormous hit, right? So that has more um it's one of the greatest reggae albums ever. Sure. I mean it's just just period. Um and the it, the album is really like it's kind of broken into two parts. The first part is all about like religion and politics, and the second part is all about like sex and and, and the women that you love. And it makes Bob Marley is a star. Yeah, it's a right. huge. He's, he's, Time Magazine called it the the best album of the 20th century. Wow, he was playing like eighty thousand people. He was playing countries. Yeah, you know, he was like he was bigger than the Rolling Stones. You know, in in the world, which is crazy because you think about it, like so the Stones are coming out of a tradition of rock and roll music, right? Like so you can you can go to the Stones and think of like. Who came before them, and you can hear the connection between them. But before them, you can hear Chuck Berry to the Stones. But Bob Marley, man, it was like reggae music is so different than anything he, else at this point. Like, yeah, dude, it's it's based in that duopy stuff, but it's so different. Like he didn't invent reggae per se. You know, it, it was around a long time, yeah. but he made it pop. Yeah, but he is reggae. He, he right? definitely is, but he made it more listenable, like a pop version of it so i and i can't think of another artist that brought like a completely different style of like a style of music to like he he made a he, you think of reggae music you know I, you think of bob marley right you know i don't think shaggy right. I, I don't i don't think right. of um snow right <laughs> in former um, what are you talking about <laughs> Oh, there's the electric chair song. There's the electric yeah. snow. But like, yeah, man, it's like some of the punk music. You know, there's always, of course, there's music that comes out that just changes everything as you hear. But it was also like, like the reggae music wasn't counterculture. You know, it wasn't like he made this for everybody to yeah, listen to. Yeah, like like punk music sure. was like a yeah. middle finger at everybody. But this mm-hmm. is like he's just trying to get love. Everybody, yeah, to unite it. Right, know? it's like embracing yeah. everybody. It was like I can't think of another. It's almost like um, it's like the dead, but it's like it's better. Like, but, it, but I don't want to say it's better than dead, but like it's more. It's more like forceful. I, I don't know about that. It's more understanding. It's more like culturally accepted than dead. Yeah, like, I, I mean, think it's on I a think different it's level. It's, it's like it's more. It's easier know. to understand than yeah. the dead. Love yeah. is love is easy to understand. Yeah. The For Grateful real. Dead is opening the door of your mind and yeah. exploring it's all not, that stuff. It's not jam band shit. Like I mean, like right, but it's the, very but the, straightforward. But it's very yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can we hear a song? Yeah, man. Can we hear? Is this love? Of course. <laughs>
still can't think of another person that was that demonstrative and about his peace and love message. Like all the episodes that we've done, man, this is the show has been littered with shit bags. Yeah. Narcissists sure. who are in it for women and money. And this dude is we'll get into his complicated family life. Sure. But just very Man, just, just Money's a music, motherfucker, man. music will yeah. just bring everybody together, and it's about that is the way out, and just peace and love. Peace and love, peace and love. I think before we take a break, man, we're going to talk about one more thing. So while he is um, in London, he's playing soccer, and somebody was wearing, uh, somebody with their cleats, they step on his toe, and it hurts like hell. And he kind of like, you know, oh my God, my my that hurt way more than it should have. And they start looking into it and they realize that he has melanoma in his right. toe. Yeah. Which is also like so the I read an interview, I think it was with a couple it was either his mom or his wife. They said like melanoma is a white person's yeah, disease. I, I like heard a, that. skin cancer, yeah. right? Like as a white person's disease. So they were like the the whiteness in him was, was killing, killing him. him. Yeah, which is kind of like a it's kind of a heavy metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And um, and also with like, I mean, you get skin cancer on like your face, your nose, you know, like on your shoulder, like you're at the yeah. beach, not on your toe. It was a freak thing. Yeah, and and there's also some debate over the severity of it. So that one documentary on him, one person said they told Bob that you need to amputate your toe. Another person said, no, the doctor said you need to cut off your leg at your hip. And at this point, it's like... He was getting some bad advice from everybody. Right. So, and I, you know, I mean, shit, they told me you have cancer in your toe, you got to cut off your leg at the hip. I probably wouldn't be down with that either. But they, and also this documentary said like, well, you know, your big toe is also like where you, you get like your balance in your life. When you stand, so you wouldn't be able to dance or play soccer. And Bob Marley was between his Rastafarianism, which is like, you're not amputating part of my body. Yeah. And you're taking away the two things that I love doing more than anything. Dancing. Soccer and... And, and, and dancing. And, yeah. And, and, and soccer. Dancing and soccer. I'm not doing it. So he decides to seek alternative treatment, which ultimately leads to his downfall. And it's probably we're going to stop and take a break. And I don't mean to <laughs> end on, such a, on such, a, a, such a bummer, but that really is kind of the, where this whole story takes a turning point. So uh, we're going to take a commercial break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Stick around. Prisoners of Rock and Roll is sponsored by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Shunk Streets in Philadelphia. There's something for everyone on the beer list and the jukebox in McCusker's. It's minutes from the sports stadiums in Philly, making it a great place to stop by for a few drinks before or after a concert or a game. Come see for yourself why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy has called it one of the best dive bars in the city. Visit them at 17th and Chunk Streets in Philadelphia or on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. All right, we're back from the commercial break. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Maybe before we dive back into Bob Marley's life, man, we should talk a little bit about Rastafarianism. We kind of like just skimmed over that. And it's probably a, an enormous uh, part of this story because he he was enormously religious person and his embracement of Rastafarianism really guided his life. But everything from um, his hair, yes. right, so the dreadlocks were, were a big part of it. Um, his diet, yeah. you know, what he would eat and what he wouldn't, and also his 
approach to modern medicine sure. in light of his cancer. Um, and I guess a uh, a big part of that, man, is like, and that, I, I'm probably going to overstate this, and please, I, we do not mean to be disrespectful, but Rastafarianism seems to deal very much with like the Book of Revelations of the Bible. Sure. And it also thought that the uh, the emperor of Ethiopia, who ruled from like the 1930s to the mid 70s, was the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, and uh, it was very very reverential to him. And after he passed away, he had a ring that he always wore, and somebody in uh, the emperor of Ethiopia's family gave that ring to Bob Marley. And if you look at the album for the cover of Legend, the greatest hits, which is also the greatest selling uh, uh, reggae album of all time. It's like on uh, Diamond. He's wearing that ring yeah. on on his hand, and I don't. The story of like whatever happened to that ring is kind of gray. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like like the, it, I heard stories that like it disappeared after he passed away, or we were all talking it during the break that it was buried with him. Nobody knows what happened to this ring. But what I find very important in this story is that people admired him and like really appreciated his what he had to say and the way he lived his life. That he deserved that ring. Maybe that he was the third coming of Christ. Maybe he's like reincarnation. If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it's an incredibly complicated yeah. um thing to dive into. We you know, and we're a music show, so we're not gonna dive yeah. into the the, uh, I dig the Rastafarians, like I, the, yeah. their whole way of life, yeah. love and live a good life. Yeah, I really dig that. And you know, like you said, it's it's the Revel- Book of Revelations, a big part of them. The uh, Christianity, it's it's a step away from Christianity. Exactly, it's a it's a, it's a beautiful religion. It yeah, really it, is, and it is a close step. So, like um, yeah. Bob Marley's wife told a story of like the the um, the emperor uh, from from. Selassie, I, I, I'm probably mis- mispronouncing his name, and I don't mean no disrespect, but he like he went to Jamaica and he was like waving at the crowd, and he put his hand up and, and stigmata, she, and she swore that she saw a stigmata yeah. in yeah. his hand from uh in in the, the hole in his palm, yeah, uh, from the crucifixion. It was like, oh my gosh, and so some of the um. You know, he they but, also described the way how he looked at everybody in the face. Yeah, he said every everybody's like, oh, he looked right at me. No, he looked right at me. No, he looked right at me in the eyes. So it was like some kind of miracle. Like he looked at everybody. It was it was kind of weird at the way that they told the story. Yeah, maybe let's let's play the song "Iron's Eye and Lion" by Bob Marley because it's about him. It's about this this guy who was the emperor of Ethiopia. Let's just play a couple minutes seconds of it. I think that's too eighty sounding to me. I think if it maybe we stripped a couple instruments out, I yeah, you know, I I could hear the organ like Ryan. You were just saying we were listening to it like the wah 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 wah. Like I, I could hear it. It was just there was too much like undercurrent going down. Yeah. I think if you stripped that out, it would sound cooler. But 
But like yeah. the guy's the, the the emperor's name nickname was Rastafarian. Yes, yeah. So yeah. that's where they get Rastafarian. Yeah. Which but, I I dig this dude. I really I really am. I I've known about him for a couple of years now from this documentary, and this dude rocks. Like, if there was a second coming of Christ, I believe that that it was this guy. And it, it's interesting that I mean. Man, I don't want to dive too much into no, geopolitics, no, yeah. but it, but it's also like when we were growing up, Ethiopia was like where the really really poor people played, yeah. right? It was like the um, the USA. Uh, we, for we are the world, right? They're they're incredibly starved, and now as we I've gotten older, we're like, oh well, there was this whole religious movement of this guy that was seen to be the second coming of Jesus going on. Like, and you never we never heard about this shit no. growing up, right? It was no. always like the UN is putting. Things of fifty pound bags of rice, and nobody's getting it. It was like it's a completely different way to think about it. But like, if you like, you can edit this out if you want to. But like, they say that the beginning of human was, was existence in that part of the world. In sure, I mean, so I believe that. You know, I I really do. Yeah, I, it's, like, it, it's it's it makes a story like incredibly complicated. Yeah, and I feel like I'm we're not even doing it justice. No, I'm, it's a huge huge story that I don't think that we can give it justice. No, we can't give it justice. But, like, you say it's completely, like, complicated, but, like, I have belief in that. I really do. I think that it's... You gotta believe in something. I, I So, I, as you know... Somebody goes to church on Sundays, I... You know, do you? I, yeah. yeah I, good I, for you. You know, I... I'm a, I'm a God-fearing, gun-owning... Hey, man, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Like, you know, but... You know, we're talking about uplifting songs. Let's hear uplifting song. Let's hear redemption song. His words are so pure and honest. Yeah. You know what I thought was interesting? So we, we play this and we play 30 seconds of it and we, you know, we normally talk over it. And you guys both just had completely different discussion points. Right. Like, so we normally, yeah. Doug, there's, talk, there's, you talked about the guitar parts. chords and yeah. Ryan, you were talking about the, the lyrics. Yeah. I, I I think it's one of his best songs. I think it's one of his most well known songs. But it's not like a reggae song, right? It's, it's, it's an it's anthem, a, right? It's like exactly. an acoustic. It's like exactly. an acoustic rock. Yeah, Dude, it's, it's, it's a crossover. He like crossed over yeah. at that point. But it's like like there's beautiful. It's so beautiful. Like it's just like the honesty. Like Ryan was saying, like he's listening to lyrics. Like yeah, I know the lyrics are, like back of my hand of this song. It's so honest and so pure and it's so simple. But it doesn't have that reggae sound to it at all. It doesn't have that like. You know, like that he's synonymous with. You're right. All of his music does have like this offbeat kind of rhythm going on. Um, there's four measures in a beat, right? There's four measures in the beat, and he uses three of them. Yeah, it was like he that leaves thing, one out. Reggae. That bunny, yeah. that bunny reggae, or that bunny whaler thing we just talked about. It's like you the, leave you leave the fourth one to your imagination or something, yeah. which is really cool because yeah. you're like. There's clearly something distinct and different about There's something magical. Music. There's something right. magical, something mystic, something very, very unusual, 
something that you can't even explain. And what do you guys said that before the the Motown episode? It was like it's not what's said, it's what's not, not said, said, or it's or not it's what's like played, the, it's what's not said. No sound ever being Yeah, we're talking about James yeah. Jamerson. You're yeah. like, it's what's not played. Being played. And and Bunny Wheeler said that it's like you leave it to your imagination. So let's hear something really reggae. Let's hear a uh, Buffalo Soldier. Buffalo Soldier. So yeah. there was so you listen to that and that's like the sound of vacation. Like how crazy is that? Like I I think of like drinking like hummingbirds and looking at clear skies, but the song is a, a very political song. song. Yeah. So you 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 fly into Jamaica, right? You get off the bus to you know, the bus goes to all the tour resorts and they drop everybody off and you get off and you can see through most of them have the um you know the the open air lobby that you can see through to the, yeah. the ocean, and you see that, and somebody in a white, uh, an African American, a black guy, I don't want to call him African American, Jamaican, Jamaican, or Jamaican, right? A Jamaican is in a white suit is giving you a yaman. Here's your drink, mm-hmm. and you see the ocean, and you're ready to check in your hotel for a week, and that's the shit that's playing, and you realize like. Man, that's like this is a very political. Right, song. right. This is not the guy playing the steel drums by the beach for for spare change. Man, this is like some revolutionary some heavy, some heavy, stuff. Yeah. heavy stuff. Man, is as heavy as the topic he's singing about. Is anything that we've talked about in the year we've been doing the show? You know, I never really. Ryan said to me a long time ago, like you've never been on vacation. Like you're always looking for like the museum or this and that. That I don't know how it feel. Do you, like it's you fucking guys, awesome. I, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But like the person that I am, I don't know that I really feel comfortable. We will go and you can go do whatever you want and I'll sit on the beach. It it is. Like me and Adam be like, yo, this place is fucked up. Like, no, I'd be like, this like, place is awesome. I don't <laughs> It is, but you also got people that are making three bucks a week, you know, like if yeah, this was another like, if this yeah. was a comedy show, I'd go into my stick. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I'm not. I, I, I get it, man. Like, but much like the blues episode, you know, like you're trying to thread the needle here. It's like, yeah, you know, like I, I, I've been to the Caribbean, I've been to Jamaica, I've been to Mexico, and you feel a little weird. Like, I've never been. Like, but that's are, why you tip everybody. Yeah, you, you tip correct, everybody. Correct. I've if been, you go to a, like a resort for another country, bring a bunch of ones with you because <laughs> no, it gets you right. a long it's not, way. It's not it, the strip club. A but. couple <laughs> dollars, dude. I'm telling you, a couple dollars get you a long way. With these people. It's amazing. Right. Like, I check in, and I give the, the, the person at the front desk $20 right off yeah. the bat. Yeah, and I get we wi- And I get free Wi-Fi for a week. Right. You know? It, they're, it's their economy. They're there to make you happy. Yeah. They want you there. We've been, the last time my wife and I went to Cancun, it was 20 bucks to everybody. You know, or you're the bartender for the week. Yeah. You're here for 20 bucks. Like, you know, and then not being patronizing or anything else. No. It's like, but these people are... There, it's a very sur- service oriented economy that well, is still incredibly poor. I probably went over and started a revolution again. Yeah, like, revolution for up. margaritas. This is fucked up. Like, yeah, you, know. you can go do whatever you want. I'm going to drink margaritas on the beach and smoke a splint. 
So anyway, all right, let's get back What's to Bob. What's this point? A joint. <laughs> let's get back to Bob Marley. So he's discovered he has cancer, and he decides that he's still going to, um, you know, he's made Exodus, and Exodus is also obviously a biblical reference, and he left Jamaica and went to London. And the next big thing that comes up, man, is a year later, 1978, is the One Love Peace Concert that the media calls the third world Woodstock. Hmm. So um really the the opposing political parties in Jamaica. So Jamaica is still a mess and there's still these two opposing political parties and somehow like flunkies of both of them have the idea of like hey man we're going to get this this con- we're going to have a concert to bring everybody together to stop all the violence. And um the two people decide that the best way to get ready together would be to have Bob Marley play. So one of these dudes flies to London and they go like, Bob, you, we need you. We need you to bring the country together. And Bob Marley has not done a single show. He hasn't performed live since he like, oh, by the way, you almost got me killed the last time I played for anything. And he agrees to come back. He agrees to come back to, to Jamaica and he does this show and he plays and there are 16 reggae acts at play. 32,000 people show up. All the money goes back into West Kingston to pay for like infrastructure, like plumbing and all this other kind of crap. And, um, but at some point during the show, man, and it, and it's really cool. You can see it. He's playing and he calls for the, the two political leaders mm-hmm. to get up on stage. He's like, hey, man, I want the, I want this person. And he grabs her hands and he holds her yeah. hands together it's, over their yeah, head. I, yeah. It's there's video. It's video really, that. really yeah, it's powerful. Cool, man. It's very powerful. Yeah. I don't know if I could find it on that. I probably should have put it in here. That was heavy shit. That was really heavy. Yeah. Two rich white guys and a black guy. And at one point, somebody in his band starts making a mistake. And he's like, don't mess up. Don't mess up. <laughs> but the, yeah. the crowd thinks he's singing to them. Yeah. Watch you step now, he says. Watch yourself. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Watch That's yourself right. yeah. now. Yeah. He didn't plan it at all. It was spontaneous. Anything could have happened at that point. I was just praying that the people didn't get foolish and start shooting. If you watch this, you know, and I, I've got the video, the the documentary in front of me in the laptop. He's like, he's dancing. He's like, he's, he's like possessed. He's right. He's just overcome with the music. And it was like, and I've seen that a lot with a video of him performing is like, you got to see it. You know, and I know music is an audio experience, but it was like, how he's just wound up in this, you know, his hands are going and his he's clapping and he just goes like, Hey, I need these people to come up here to celebrate love. Dude, he just he just overcome with the magical, power of rock and roll. Magical things happen to like amazing musicians like that. Yeah. It's just it's a really cool it's a really cool thing to, to watch and I don't know if I can share a clip of it on our YouTube channel or on our social media without getting sued because it's a it's a movie, but it's it's the documentary is really really worth yeah Marley at. yeah really cool yeah but it's about unity like and that's all he wanted in his life is unity it's part right. of his religion it's part of who he was you know he brought all kinds of people together he brought the gangsters together with the uh, politicians yeah you know he lived 
you know, five doors down from the prime minister, you know, and he would have like all like the gangsters over his house and people come over to talk about the revolution and come over to talk about Rastafari. And so come, it was like a big melting pot. It, it was yeah. his, his house was, yeah. I remember, you know, that a lot of, yeah. a lot, it was like the meeting place. Yeah. But he also, know? but despite his efforts, it didn't always get what he wanted. So I mentioned when we started this conversation about the, uh, the concert that he had, like there were two like political flunkies that, that tried to organize it. They were both murdered within two years of the show. Yeah. You know, yeah. so they were like, yeah. the violence just, you know, Jamaica was a horribly politically Sounds divided, it. you know, just, just violent place. And then at some point, somebody in his in his aura starts realizing, like, hey, man, you're doing all this great stuff for music. There's a lot of white people coming to all your shows. Yeah. And Bob Marley, instead of just going like, hey, man, I'm chasing the money. But you think about it, like... When he went to Delaware, he was like, I'm not making any money, right? And he came back, and he was like, I need to make money. Now he's like, well, my my audience is mostly white people. He went to Africa, yeah, and he started playing there. And a couple places like um, Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe, like uh, they declared their independence. And they were like, we would love to have you come and play, but we can't afford to have you. And uh, Bob Marley paid on his own dime to have all of his equipment and a band and everything else move there. And he played, I think it was like the day that like the flag was lowered and the Zimbabwe flag was raised. He was playing and it was all on his dime. And he played in like Ethiopia and he played in um, like all these, all the Gabon, all these countries. It was like, it was really cool to hear that he was like, he was, he was all over the world. There was no limit to him. His his listening audience was the world, right? And I feel that he doesn't care about money. He didn't care about money. He just kept on rolling. Yeah, yeah. And it's I'll, just like fuck it, just keep on moving. And I have yeah. some notes about that at, at the end. Can we play another song? You want to play? Yeah, let's play a song, man. Could you be loved? We didn't. Yeah, play let's that do yet, that one. That's my favorite Bob Marley song. Cool. That's my favorite song of his. He's I, great. You know, that's I, one of my favorites. Too. I think that 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 kind of chuggy. It, it has iconic. its own yeah. sound. It really does has a great sound. So I I think we're we're at the the end of Bob Marley. So we're talking about like we're up to like 1980. He was diagnosed with the cancer in his toe, and he kind of poo pooed it and was doing his own thing. He was in New York. And he goes out for a run in Central Park, and he passed out when he was out for a run. And a doctor, uh, they look at him, and they realize that the cancer has now gone to his liver, lungs, and brain. And one of the doctors said he had more cancer in him than any single person he had ever seen alive, ever. So he's, he's... He's probably in so much pain. He's incredibly ill. The doctors say, like, hey, man, you only have a couple months to live. You love making music. You might as well just go back out on the road and die... Loving what you're doing, right. With your boots on, right. So he he goes and does one more show 
And then two days later, he cancels the rest of his tour. But the show he does is at Madison Square Garden. Awesome. And it was like a, it was an iconic. Yeah. And he said during the, the, um, the sound check, he kept playing another one bites the dust by Queen because he knows he's about to die. Really? Yeah. Is it so, recorded? I don't, I don't think so. And his health kind of deteriorates very rapidly. And he, he goes to Germany and he tries to get all this like alternative treatment. Because it was Rastafarianism, and it was it was really sad, man. Listening to the people in his orbit, because he's he's a Caribbean, right? He's a Jamaican, sure. mm-hmm. and he goes to Bavaria in the winter, and See he has so, snow, and, and it's snow. And they say like he'd wear like snow up to, like up to your knees to get through this, like. And they were like, dude, uh, somebody in his one of his friends or somebody said, you're just going to a refrigerator to keep you alive, yeah. sure, so you can yeah. die because yeah. it's just so cold, yeah. And you know, he said he's, he's so wearing, much pain. He has to wear big yeah. sunglasses because it's so white, and his hair is falling out. So eventually, he just goes like, "Dude, I." I and it, the the documentary has some really cool interviews with like one of his nurses and saying like how much pain he was in, but how polite he was. He's kind, and man. he's always yeah. he's kind man, right? Yeah. Every one of these talked about how polite and kind he was, but he um he decides he wants to go home, and he uh, or at some point when when he's ill his dreadlocks become too much for him that like they're too heavy for him his body so weak and i found this the saddest part of his yeah. so his wife and a couple other women whom he had well, relationships yeah. with yeah. they they like candles and they read the bible and they cut his hair off hmm. and that's like his Rastafarianism, like that's his identity. If you see, you he said you, that before. Yeah, you identity. can see interviews yeah. with him. He's this like, is this is my life. This, this is my, my identity. It's part of your religion. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's really really sad. And he goes to fly home to Jamaica. So he he's in Germany, and a couple of his family are like, no, we'll come to you. And he was like, I just want to come home to Jamaica, sure. and I'm yeah. going to die. Yeah. And he um, I think his wife even said like, instead of dying in the cold, being a Jamaican, you should be. You know, if you want to come here and drink tea and look at the ocean, sure. you're going to wind up in the same place anyway. Sure. Do it what you want to do. And so he decides he's going to go home to Jamaica, and he has a layover in Miami. And when he has a layover, he gets incredibly ill. Mm. And they realize, like, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. So they take him to a hospital in Miami, and he dies 11 days later. Mm. That sucks. And he's 36 years old. Wow. And it's yeah. like, man, like, you think about all these musicians, like, how much music and how much beauty did we get deprived of? Because he just, you know, it's like, you know, we can talk about Kurt Cobain dying or or John Lennon getting assassinated. You know, all like he just died of cancer. Yeah, yeah. these guys died from violence. This guy died, of, right? Like, right, some, just like, just yeah, just shit just some didn't disease. go his way. Right, just shit just didn't There's so go much his beauty way. in it, though. There's so much beauty. And how you went out in a bizarre, yeah, in a bizarre. He didn't get to go home. You know, like he just but, wanted to go home and he and he couldn't. Yeah, it, in a macabre way, man. It was like, you know, and he he had a a, a state funeral, you know, because he he was Jamaica. I mean, he was yeah. royalty to those yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, he was a saint. Right, yeah, going back to the ring thing. Yeah, and they and they buried him with his with his guitar. And it's like wow. you know, and awesome. it's like it's sad and it's beautiful and tragic all at the same time. And then you know what? Like, so the last thing he said to one of his kids. Was I wrote it down? Shit. Keep on rocking, man. Money can't buy life, and he didn't have a will. And they said that yeah. at the end, his family was asking him like to make a will, and he was like, "I'm not going to write a will because 
when I'm gone and my money is up for stake, then you're going to see the true character of people. Of and the people that are fighting over my money, then you'll see who the shitbags are. And that's the way it goes, man. That's the way it goes. It, like, even people without money, people like who die without right. money, you see it constantly. And Jerry Garcia's life was like that, too. It was oh, like yeah. very tragic. Had like so many people his, fighting over yeah. his rights of his image yeah. and his yeah. likeness. And, and it was really ooh. sad. And, yeah. and you think of Bob Marley, like, he just wanted to help people. And all this other stuff, and people are crawl, crawling at his money, and it's almost prophetic that he was like, oh, "Well, I'm not going to put this shit in writing, man. I'll, I'll just step back and go and I'll let it there and laugh and let it all sort of. And you will see who fucking the, parasites, man. Who the turds of the world yeah. are? How many kids did he have? He married Rita Marley when he was like 19, and he they were married up until his death. She had one kid before him mm-hmm. that he adopted. Then they had four kids together. Then he legally had eight other kids from eight other women. And there may be as many as 20 other kids that he had. Holy shit. They're all out there. So it's it's like, and their relationship was really weird. They said like, he, like they had separate rooms, like when they would go on tour and he would have all kinds of chicks and yeah. Is it rock and roll or is it like religion? I don't know. They said he would call her and be like, "Hey, can you come down here and get, get the women out of my room?" And she did. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know, man. I, he was, he was everybody unique. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Bob Marley was just one in a trillion, one of a kind, and yeah. people knew that, so they right. put up with, you know, his wife put up with everything, all right. his womanizing and. He said they wasn't even calling womanizing because God doesn't. <laughs> right. I, don't know, shit. I don't know if that's like a. Is that a like? Okay. Well, you Jesus told me to do it. I don't like. Come on. Hey man. Hey. But he. I don't and know. I saw some old interviews with him, and somebody asked, "Like, are you married?" And he's like, "No." Yeah. So it's like I. I don't know, man. I. I. I didn't go too much into that, and I struggled with it. And again, I man, much like the religion, I don't mean to glaze over his womanizing. And no, his, but like it's, it might be a part of who he is. It might yeah. be part of religion. Like there's a lot of religions like the, like out there, like the, like you know, for real. Like, but you know, for we to judge. Yeah, and he he had an incredibly. It's complicated, a whole. It's a something that we cannot understand. No. Look at his father. His father had kids in, in generally all these things. So, you know, he's that's just part of his culture. Yeah, well he's a yeah. white guy from fucking England and fucking just But his yeah. even <laughs> even so his him saying that money can't buy happiness, like uh, his estate, he's one of the wealthiest like dead celebrities. You know that list comes uh, out every yeah. year. Yeah. And um so Forbes magazine said that his estate makes twenty one million dollars a year. But the New Yorker said that there's over five hundred million dollars a year in merchandise sold by him every year. Sure. So like, where does all that fucking money go? You think about it, like, man, you go to a your flea market, right? There's there's yeah, people are selling bongs and lighters and yeah. hats and it's just great. like his face is everywhere. Every, he's probably one of the most recognizable, marketable people. But even Rock watching the documentary that we all watched. Majority of people had T-shirts on with Bob Marley on it. Like, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Right, millions of dollars of stuff that who knows where that shit goes. Right, it's like I mean, no. yeah, I said it's every. Hopefully, the record he might be the most. Rec- he might be one of the most recognizable Absolutely. on the planet. Yeah, like just yeah. faces and music. Yeah, that we've talked about. It's crazy. I don't have much. Oh, other than um, 
that a part of Rastafarianism that marijuana was very much seemed to be like a yeah. like a sacrament. Yeah, um, it's smoke the herb. Yeah, like a, a the New Testament. Yeah, like smoke the herb, and then the police not the con- New Testament, the old uh, the, the Book of Revelation. Yeah, the Book of Revelations, and that the police were constantly being like. Looking at what he would go on tour, they yeah, it's an easy bust. Drugs and- it's an easy bust. Constantly trying to trying to get him, and they they never did. Do we have any other songs we didn't play? We could play "Stare It Up." Do you think these songs are common knowledge? Like, what do you I, mean? I mean, like, you know, we always like talk about Stone songs and everything like that. This is part of like. Just, you mean they're like standards? Yeah. No. Really, people no. know about these songs. Not that one. That's amazing to me. I think a lot of the stuff on Legend people know, but I think again, it's like it's in the background of like vacation time, and it's not uh, synonymous with political unrest and in a social movement. Yeah, I think if if there was a one of his. Songs that were most recognizable is "Could This Be Love" or "Could You Be Love." I'm yeah. sorry, I I just think that has such a. I think Three Little Birds gets a yeah. Big, you know everything's gonna be all right. Too. Yeah. yeah, everything's gonna be all right. But so I think that's Bob Marley, man. That's the that's the rise and uh, the very tragic death of Bob Marley. He was amazing. I mean, yeah. he's been. Dead my whole life, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. He's been a legend, and uh, it's forty years. Forty years this year, yeah. he's been dead. Damn. I mean, he's what? an icon. All, all the merchandise you see, and if you've never been to Jamaica, you you really don't know how big he is. Yeah, I. But it, like, is like I never been, but I, in the way you guys explain it, like I think exploit it. But that's just me. Yeah, I think there's people that legitimately embrace him as a cultural icon, but I think if there's an exploitation of Jamaica, it might be by tourism. And, of course. And That's where I'm Ameri- coming from. You know, yeah. I don't want to be... Americans. Yeah. You know, I don't, don't want to be too too social heavy on it, but uh, you know, I think... I'm going. <laughs> I don't I'm going with you. I'm, I'm, you can start a revolution. You can go save people. <laughs> I'm sitting on the beach. I don't give a shit. I'm going to smoke a big blunt. All right, I got some second thoughts. So we got a ton of feedback on our Motown episode. So I have an email from Nick from Chicago. He emailed us a few weeks ago saying how much he liked hearing the warden on the episode. So, hey, I just wanted to drop you guys a line and say how much I enjoyed your latest episode on Motown. I love all that music, but didn't know the story about the band. I thought you guys took a really cool angle by focusing on the Funk Brothers. One note. Barry Gordy created Motown Records because he was having so much success with Tamla. He didn't want people to start accusing him of paying DJs to play his single, so he started another label, even though they both released songs by Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye, and Stevie Wonder. Please don't think I'm trying to be one of those comic book guys you were talking about. All the music (laughs) is just considered Motown these days, but I thought it was worth pointing out that he didn't want to be accused of payola. Great job this week. 
So thanks so much, Nick. And by the way, your stickers are in the mail, sir. That's a good point, man. It was like, yeah, yeah it was, he was having so many hits and he started his other label and didn't want to be accused of payola of him. We just kind of all lumped it into, into Motown, but I just but, thought he had a better name. Motown is, made Motown is better than Tamla. Uh, Smokey Robinson named his daughter Tamla. Oh, wow. that's amazing. That. Really? So, that's yeah. awesome. So, um, Music news, man. So <laughs> I got two good stories from music news. So Smash Mouth singer calls it quits. Smash Mouth lead singer Stephen Harwell announces retirement after a video of him in concert in upstate New York went viral. Smash Mouth tried performing at the Big Sip Beer Festival in Bethel, New York, when Harwell went swaying on stage and slurring his words to one of their songs. During the show, he told a fan that, quote, I'll fucking kill you and your whole family. And then he started giving the Nazi salute. The 54-year-old singer told TMZ that he has cardiomyopathy, a disorder that impacts motor functions, speech, and memory. And write crappy songs. (laughs) Like, okay, Some right. did, he, body. Did, did he kill him? Did we kill us on one no, of those? No, it was uh, 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 Rascal Flats. We oh, called okay, him right. yeah. Somebody yeah. going the, the world the, going down me. So of course, when when you do something bad, it's like I have a disorder. And it, oh, absolutely. That made me give the men, uh, the Nazi salute. And the hilarious part is they then Smash Mouth said that they had been on tour for a month. Without this dude, and nobody noticed. they had a friend of theirs who was singing with them, and nobody fucking no, noticed. noticed that it was a, a different <laughs> singer. But fear me not, Smash Mouth said they are not disbanding, and they will be on the hunt for another singer. There'll be another Shrek movies. And- <laughs> oh my god, they're, doing- they're the worst band of the night. Them and the Insane Clown Posse oh, got to be the, the worst. Ugh. So, and then continue the the crap music. Uh, can you hear what the Rock is singing? Dwayne The Rock Johnson has made his debut hip-hop album. The 49-year-old wrestler and actor has collaborated on a track with Tech 9 The Rock said some of the biggest names in hip-hop have asked him to do a track with them in the past, but he's always, infu- he's always refused because of artist integrity. Really? What? He's too good for them? Until now. The Rock joins a long-standing tradition of celebrities crossing over into music and releasing god-awful songs. Who like um, like Tom like Tom Hanks' kid? Yeah, Tom Hanks' kid. And yeah. uh, hang on, let me. I think I could find that song. Okay. Yeah, but I understand. Like, like you need an outlet. Cha-ching. Yeah, 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 I understand. Yeah, yeah. It's but, gonna be up there with the Alan Iverson rap yeah. music album. But I love, dude. I like the rock. I like Moana. I like. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, and we Disney, talked about that. Disney like, that's great. Not, you know, but he should not be making music, dude. It's an outlet. You know, I mean, he runs his own it's company, his own business. Money. But like, I want to just, I just want to make music. money. I, I just, just want to make money, music. money, 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 money. Do you think he cares? Like, other, other than him uh, saying that he's had the biggest names in hip hop of all been begging him to make music <laughs> is like, all right, come on, yeah, dude. Calm he down. freestyles, goes to parties and yeah. freestyles with DMX. <laughs> Not anymore, because DMX is dead. <laughs> I know. <laughs> blah, blah. All right, so it's time for the lecture chair. The lecture chair is where we kill a song for being terrible. Man, we, we've uncovered so much crap music, but uh, this week it is my turn, and I found this. I'm going to kill a song that I found just kind of listening to the radio with my kids in the car. I found this song called uh, Get Ready by Pitbull mm. and Blake Shelton, the country singer. 
This is fucking terrible. This might be the worst song I've ever heard. So this is so it's Pitbull and a country artist, and they sample uh, Black Betty by Ram Jam. Really, this is really bad. Like this is far from the 305 Miami Magic City lights. Pit, welcome to the countryside. You get on that horse, you better ride. Fuck out of here. Does he have his gloves on and sunglasses? He has his leather gloves on. Mr. Worldwide. What a clown. Honk, honk. This is fucking Dude, really bad. We just know music is over. Like, it's just over. I, and I it's like, just over. I like country music. I like Blake Shelton. Man, I, I don't. This is unreal. This is, like, this is pretty bad. This is like if a, if a musical asteroid hit Earth. Like Anne just went down to Nashville. I'm sure the song is playing every bar she went into. This is really bad. Fun. All right, uh, this is this has got to go. We sentence you to death. Clown show. That's. It's, I never heard it. I you never knew to hear it again no, either. No. I'm I'm sorry that I, I had to bring it to your ears. No, so. it's okay really terrible so that's it for episode 28 man first of all a huge episode for everybody's listening to us uh if you like what you hear please consider hitting follow on your favorite podcast platform and leaving us a review if you like what you hear we publish a music playlist to go with every episode we talk we we put it on spotify it has everything from the uh frankie lyman and the teenager song we played uh, every song that we played uh, during the whole show uh, if you have any comments, thoughts, or ideas about Prisoners of Rock and Roll, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. We're on prisonersofrockandroll.com, and you can email us at prisonersofrockandroll at gmail.com. And, of course, if you're ever visiting Philadelphia, please stop by McCusker's Tavern at 17th and Stunk Streets in South Philadelphia. We would love to see you. So that's it, man. We'll be back in two weeks. Check Keep you on later. rocking. Peace out. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 